0: today. Hope you're doing good. This is, of course, Talking During the Movies, the podcast where you take key quotes and moments from a movie and help it drive a conversation. And man, today was a special one. Justin Foster, of Root and River. Check them out. He has got wisdom. Follow him on Instagram. He is at the handle, I believe, Foster Thinking. I'm going to double check that really quick for you. But he's absolutely amazing man i mean this guy is just on point on point of course i pull up justin yeah foster thinking at foster thinking is him on instagram check him out he's absolutely amazing um i think you you the wisdom that he departs the the insights that he has on business on personal everything and in what you can pull from it of course is up to you but check him out we did napoleon dynamite we kicked in about a minute and a half on that movie and it's amazing how much Justin and I, how, how similar our paths are in life uh, from high school and where we saw ourselves to religious upbringings and what our parents did right and did wrong and abusive relationships and how that affected us. Uh, even though we're close in the same age, you know, he had kids earlier on in life. I, of course, had a daughter uh, later on in life. She's just five now. So very, very different. I hope you're going to enjoy this. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the world-famous Dirty Bill's. We couldn't do it without Leslie and the team down there at Dirty Bills. Check them out at dirtybillsaustin.com. Check out their store. They've got some great hats, great t-shirts. Absolutely amazing. You're gonna, you gotta have you gotta get some dirty bills gear, man. You got to. It is uh, it's the best place to be. And of course, what makes Dirty Bills even better is just going down there. five eleven West Rio Grande in Austin, Texas. Just make it a trip. Just make a little homage, you know? Uh, Instead of going to the Grand Canyon, which is just a hole, go to Dirty Bills in Austin, Texas, and then go see D. Betty. Maybe uh, go check out, I don't know, Hippie Hollow if you're feeling brave, want to see a bunch of old naked dudes. It's up to you. Listen, I'm not one to judge. I'm just one to give options. So without further ado, here is Justin Foster and I talking about Napoleon Dynamite. Enjoy. Bam! we are live, my man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, another day in paradise, folks. A very special guest today. Uh, the great Bobby, the man who wrote the theme song to this wonderful podcast, put us together. And we went out, we had coffee. I was like, hey, you want to do the podcast? Like, yeah. Like, well, we should probably meet first, and you know. Okay. And what turned it. it was gonna be a 30-minute conversation, turned it over an hour. Yeah. I left feeling blessed. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was really positive. Awesome. So, Dustin, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Can you uh, give some people some background on you, uh, where you're at, what you're doing,
1: that whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I moved here to Austin from Boise, Idaho, uh, four years ago next week, actually. People ask, why did I do that? I was called here, I guess would be the easiest way to say it. It was just time for a change, Mm -hmm. time to go to a city, different place. And so I am the co-founder of Root and River um, with my business partner and great friend, Emily Secorsi. Um, she and the rest of our team live in, Aust- or in Scottsdale, I, I live here, and Root and River, um, we have this belief that brands are supposed to be spiritual experiences, that should feel like a spiritual experience, okay. and so what we do in order to help a brand, whether it's a solo business owner, a, a big, big company, whatever, is we help you organize around your mission and your beliefs and your standards and these inner things that are actually what people care about, because nobody gives a crap about your business model. They give a crap about they may give a crap about why you're in business but they don't give a crap what business you're in even if they say that on the surface so that's the work that we do nice. and then i'm also a professional speaker and an author and a bunch of other sort of stuff like that
0: and then you're uh, you're i follow you on instagram your instagram handle is at foster thinking at foster thinking quote seriously check it out only because the the things that you write down the the, the, the drops of knowledge and information that, that, that you share are, are enlightening and they, they give you pause to Thanks, think. Man. and I, and I appreciate that because I look forward to it. I scroll through it, but I don't see it through, you know, my first 20 things. I just type in your name. Oh, there he is. Boom. Thank yeah. you. There's a new post. Fantastic. Today, uh, we have, we're talking about coffee. Uh, we're doing Napoleon dynamite. for Those of you who want to get queued up. We're at two minutes and 15, 16, 17, 18. All right. There you go. And uh, I'll give their kickoff time when we uh, when we open up the uh, in the intro. So none of But we're doing Napoleon Dynamite, and uh, for a couple of reasons. You, your reasons were uh, I'm from Idaho, or I lived yep. in Idaho for 20 years.
1: Uh, the movie is filmed literally in Idaho and Preston Idaho, which is over in the eastern part of the state. Number two is it captures the essence of my high school experience. I often say I'm, I was Napoleon, but I didn't have a Pedro. So uh, <laughs> and. It also, um, I come from a pretty religious background, not okay. Mormon, but you can see the influence of sort of fundamentalist belief systems in the movie mm-hmm. and how they sort of make fun of it um, in, a, in a gentle way. And, uh, and so it, it resonates with
0: me on those three levels. Nice, and, and I liked it because I, I love the confidence of the kid. Yes. I just love this guy who, he just he's unshaken by everything that happens around him. And at the end, he gets exactly what he wants because he is unshaken right. and he's pursuing a goal of he wants certain things and he gets them. Yeah. And as goofy as his voice is and anything else, it is the idea. He's just, he's got the confidence. He's got the gusto, right, if you will. And maybe nothing else behind it, but he's got the gusto. Yeah, it, it, He is unaware
1: of how other people see him. Yep, And in that is a type of confidence unto itself. Yeah, where well, I think Napoleon
0: is very aware of how people see it. That is, I think yes. so. Yes. All right, folks, hold on. Before we go, there we go. We've cracked our first beer. Um, real quick, I want to thank Montucky for last month for uh, supporting the podcast with uh, with beers, with swag, with everything. Thanks, you guys at Montucky. Check them out: montuckycoldsnacks and yeah, now we're into August. We're having some fun. Uh, did you ever have moon boots as a kid? I did. So did I. Did you have parachute pants? Of course, 100% yeah. I parachute pants. Parachute pants, moon boots. Uh, the moon boots, you know, those were the... the it was weird because they would get wet mm-hmm. in the winter. Right. It would stink. Oh, they were... That smell. That that moon boot smell was right. awful. Did you have a shirt with horses on it? Trying to... Um, no, but I remember I got a button-down shirt for my grandmother that was... Indian arrowheads. And they were kind of splattered all over the place. And my mom would make me wear it every time my grandmother would come to town. She's like, hey, you gotta wear this. And I was like, this is awful. I had a horse on my glasses. You had a horse on your
1: glasses? Down in the lower left. Like a Jordash horse? (laughs) Like a Jordash horse. And you know who (laughs) made me who whose idea that was? It was mine. It was yours. It's like I like Napoleon. I I had I had a lot of sort of just primal reasons that people wanted to kick my ass. Okay, and then I made it worse. <laughs> you gave on, them more yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, <laughs> when they wanted to fight me, quoting you know the Constitution or
0: wearing, wearing a horse on my glasses or, or whatever. So. What when, when you were growing up and you're in and you're in Idaho? You know, I grew up. I grew up in Oregon. Oregon, okay. yeah. Eastern,
1: Eastern half. Eastern half. Oregon. Eastern half. Baker, Baker the, City. Yeah. Baker
0: City. An uh, uh, hour away from John Day, about. That's right. I so know my geography, people. You know your Oregon geography. I do. <laughs> uh, what What were your dreams when you were growing up? What were you, what were you thinking you wanted to do? I, I, how about this? Let's do this. Two, two-part question. One, younger, what was your silliest dream where you look back and you're like, I can't believe, as a kid, I mean, I can believe it, but that was ridiculous. And then two, as you're growing up and kids are picking on you, whatever's happening, you're like, when I get out of this, I want to do X. Yeah. So the plan I had for a good while was...
1: To be an aeronautical engineer. I was fascinated by flight. Okay, and that was kind of what I thought it would be. And then I got in. We moved to Portland in my junior year. I got into higher math, and I was sucked at it. <laughs> and um, and and so that was where I thought it was going to be. But really, most of it, Jason, with my dream was to get out. Okay. Um, I it was not a growing up on the ranch was great, but that was it. The other parts of my life, school, home, not good. Okay. And it affected me probably at a subconscious level. Still do. Um, but affected me for many, many years because it kind of put me in a survival state. Okay. Um, and I think about, you know, this is this is me looking at something like Napoleon Dynamite. It's like, well, what was the psychological damage of what happened to him? Yeah. Like with the mean kid picking on him, this, yeah. this guy here, yeah. Like that's psychologically damaging, and, and and but there's a lesson in it. So I always wondered, like, wouldn't it be cool to see what Napoleon was like four, 30 years later after his experiences? Because where I'm at 30 years later, is is I am much more like the person I was before I um, became disenfranchised with it all, like back when I had an imagination, Uh like when I was like 12. And I'm much more that person, that original Justin, than I was for that 30 years up until a couple years ago where
0: I just was in survival mode, compliance mode, make it work mode. Okay, and did you, in that, by the way, he's making the nachos real quick and he microwaves them and it's just, I've done that. It's, they're yes. not good nachos. They're not good nachos. Uh, so, in that c- compliance mode, right? In in that breaking of the spirit, if you will. Yes, right. Did you or have you gone back to any of your class reunions? Nope, not one. Me neither. I've no, because I examine <laughs> my own heart. The only reason I would go is to prove something.
1: And I, it didn't matter. That's why I, I tell people this all the time. Napoleon Dynamite is the example of this, is that if your high point is high school, the rest of your life is shitty. Yeah, and you meet those people. You do, and they're like 45-year-old day laborers, you yeah.
0: know, and I, nothing wrong with being a day laborer, but that's generally not somebody's plan. It's not someone's plan, or, if it, or it is their plan, right, and, and that's their passion. They like to build, they like to do, and that's yeah. great, but it's, it's the attitude of that, let's say, day laborer uh-huh. that goes out, and they're like, yeah, but... I still wear my Letterman's jacket. That's right. Like, oh, Yo, you gotta yeah. let and the re- it go. And they're
1: victim. The reason I'm yeah. in this job is because you know, coach didn't put me in the game. Just like Uncle Rico. Yeah, Uncle Rico. Yeah, Uncle say, Rico yeah. I blew up my
0: knee. Right. I couldn't get it done. Right. You know, and then you see people that you know. I. And there's always the beautiful transformation. The guy who maybe was a jock or an asshole that grew out of it. Yeah. You know, and uh, they're successful. And they're nice. They've Yeah. Got kids. Yeah. There's but, there are those too. There are yeah. those too. Yeah. When I was a kid, uh, I remember growing up. I was like eight years old. We used to sit in the back of my grandfather's pickup, and he'd drive us to the ranch. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at the side of the road, and the grass was so high, and I thought it would be the coolest job in the world if I drove around in a riding lawnmower and I just mowed the grass on the side of the highway so it yes. looked nicer. Like this was my first dream job. Yes, was to, to be a lawnmower. And of course, you look back, and I think it's ridiculous. But I also thought, because we were poor, how cool would it be to have a riding lawnmower? Like the aspiration was more of a riding lawnmower. Than it was of anything else, right? Than what I can do with it. So it's interesting. The
1: median, and we hayed those at the ranch. That's the state let us, you know, convert it to hay. My job was to go pick up the trash that people threw out, and in that experience, I got my first exposure to nudity, like oh. full-on penthouse nudity. Someone threw a penthouse someone out. Someone threw a penthouse out. And so and that house is not a Gentle Magazine. No, That's not that was wood. a <laughs> quick immersion into holy cow. That's where everything is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's legal? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And I just remember, I was like 13. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I thought, so you go think back to when, it, when you said, you know, the tall grass along the freeway, you know, th-
0: there's an education of waiting <laughs> in the weeds. There's, <laughs> hey kids, stay out of the weeds. Uh, no. And then I think I wanted to be, for the longest time, I wanted to be a history teacher. Me too. I went to school to be a history teacher originally. I, I was in AP classes for history since Same I was theater. a freshman. Yes. Loved it. Couldn't add to save my life. Like when I I, um, I had helped this gentleman, uh, I was the 20th employee at a company called Home Loan Center, a financial services company, and I remember joking with Anthony when it was all said and done, and I said, "Hey, if you looked at my math scores, you never would have hired me. I mean, I, algebra I failed for my first year. Right, not good, and just it just didn't reconcile in my brain." Parts of it started to, and then it, just, it would just fall apart. Like, I'd start building the house of cards, and whoosh, it was gone before I could get to Y, X minus Y equals C. It just yes. it never made sense. Right. It was ridiculous. Still doesn't. Still doesn't make sense. And also, instead of teaching algebra, maybe maybe you teach us how to do our taxes. Right. Maybe a better solution. Right. But what I, I wanted to be, and then I, um, I fell into speech and debate, and I... Uh, i won the western state championships and i won montana state championships and i won the western u.s championships and then that got these scholarships to college So i never got that far i was in speech and debate i won
1: went to districts went to regionals went to the state was was gonna go compete at the state level in oregon but you had to fund your own way there and we're ranch family we were you know land rich and cash poor and it that was hit. it yeah that was it same thing happened to me a few years later in toastmasters i joined toastmasters when i was like 18 or 19. worked my way up to districts winning 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 was going to go to national but you had to pay your own way well i'm newly married very you know teenage marriage my wife and i got married i was 18 she was 19. dirt ass poor and so it tapped
0: out yeah but now we get to do this now we're going to do this <laughs> this is one of those crazy things right where I think about this and you guys have a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, and it's funny, I brought a maze on here and I, everyone thought that cable was going to kill local TV, right. everyone thought that, you know, video killed the radio star. Right. And, and radio is going to die and local television is going to die and cable's going to win. And then you have some misinformation on either side and then podcasting is going to kill radio right? and Netflix is going to kill, you know, and HBO's it's like, well, no, there is a place for it all. If I want my, I don't get my traffic from CNN. I don't. Right. Uh, do I want to hear a different viewpoint sometimes than from Brian and Yvonne? Sure I do. But, okay. So, I this whole idea, and I'd love to get your insight on this even though I know we're talking about Napoleon Dynamite, but there's, it's, okay. there, it's, it's one of those things, right? In this ever-evolving and changing world where we get to do this, right? We have a 300 downloads a day, mm-hmm. 300 goofy people that listen to our voices, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, It's, why is it that this has to kill something versus this is going to find its spot, as is cable's going to find its spot, as is Netflix is going to find its spot, as Amazon's going to find its spot? Well, if you want a metaphysical answer, (laughs) (laughs) I will say what I think it is. please.
1: Because a lack of consciousness. So if you're in a kind of an asleep state, you see the world as everything is an outside threat. That's why there's so much anger in the world right now. Anger is a construct of having your pretend world threatened. So if you're actually under attack, you don't feel anger, you feel focused, you feel fierce, you feel relentless. So so it's the same thing that- Are some, you
0: suddenly transitioning? Because you're saying this as he's going to his Taekwondo one no class. Absolutely. Look at this, yes, without the shooter glasses. Someone on yes. timing. Yes, well, I told you this is my movie. This is your jam. Um, but
1: I think people, when they when they see change, they view change as a negative and therefore it's a threat. So then it, it goes to this very industrial age cataloging of where everything is. Well, you know, the, the Telegraph was, you know, the Pony Express was replaced by the Telegraph, which was replaced by the telephone. This, they see this sequence of evolution of technology, but they don't realize is that art doesn't get old, and that's the difference. I wrote a post about this on LinkedIn last week about the return of long-form content, that it's back. For example, Joe Rogan podcast, three hours long. Yeah, I got
0: goosebumps because yeah. he's is he not the Johnny Carson of this generation. He he really is in his own way. <laughs> in now, his own
1: way. Jordan Peterson's book, Twelve Rules for Life, seven hundred pages long. Da Vinci by Isaacson. Boy, someone someone pages pages just long.
0: got triggered when you said Jordan Peterson. I hope so. <laughs> One of my goals
1: in life is this is, is what Jordan inspired. Mister Doctor Peterson inspires me. Is this is I want to at a consistent level offend the far right and the far left he does it both and he does, he does such both. a good job and, and he does it by, he does it many ways and so this long form content you look at like even I, I don't ever hardly ever watch popular movies but all of the best selling movies of 2018 so far are over 2 hours long yeah and, they, and they're good. They, they, were, they were told you were told everything was short and snackable and all that it's not true if it's art if it's art people if it's not art people just want to get it over with yeah, which is
0: why The Kardashians is a half hour show. Exactly. for 22 minutes. 22 right? minutes, yeah. right? Like, let's get it over with. Yeah. Uh, it's why Instagram is, is snackable. Right. Have right? you
1: seen uh, Dark Tourist on no. Netflix? Not yet, no. It's awesome show.
0: That, this they, show. They, uh, they travel around to all yeah. these I, I've seen it, so I, I've yeah. got it in my queue. So, watch.
1: I watched the first episode, two episodes last night. They're 90 minutes long. No commercial breaks, obviously. It's no. Netflix. Yeah. And it's 90 minutes, uh, it's riveting. Like the way that they structure the story is riveting, and that's the key to this. This that that it goes to my overall theory that we need to move as humans, individual humans, from being followers to being creators. So you found this, and as as a not just a creative outlet, but an expression of the joy that creativity brings to you. Um, I you know I I write songs, for example, is one of my outlets, and I write those musings that you talked about, and I do public speaking and mentoring. Well, I, I think maybe I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm going to be 48 this year, but this this return to or reawakening of the artisan soul um, is, I think, leading a new renaissance. It's leading back this new thing, this new format, like this kind of podcast that you're doing. Um, that is completely. It's not. So here's the thing about Jason. Here's, some, here's your <laughs> here's your sweet niche with this podcast. Having listed oh, this is a whole bunch of episodes after I met you. Is it's not. It's not uh, information based. You're not. We're not listening to a podcast on the on the eight different ways to, you know, build click funnels, you know, whatever, or you know, you know, seven tips for a better a greener lawn, or you know, whatever, a happier <laughs> marriage. There's not that. It's not informational, but it's also not a distraction. It's not like I mean, you just. It's not background noise. That that's how you know it's art. It's when 300 people a day intentionally are doing this. Thing. Not because they're just entertained, but because there's an art to what you're doing. And what my proclamation to the whole damn world is, is that we should all be doing that. Oh, and first of all, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Uh, it's it's perfect, comfort- again, perfect timing yeah, of the butterfly the, scene. the butterfly scene. And
0: you probably, you know, like this feeling of floating through the air. Of, yeah, it's, yeah, it feels, you know, that's one of the things I look at it and I, like, well, when it came to this podcast, my idea was is, it's hard to grab someone for two hours and chat with them because mm-hmm. everyone's busy. Yeah, And somebody who in the, in the comments of the podcast said, this is a cheap excuse for an interview. And I was like, yeah, a hundred, yeah. Like, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it's absolutely. a cheap excuse for me to pick someone's brain and, and to say some things that are funny and to have everyone laugh at the same time, maybe get a little serious and in yeah. the weeds and then pop back up and and let the movie take us on a journey that's very. I mean, like yesterday, I did the babysitter, a horror film, with my friend Stephanie Silver at Vision Creative, and we maybe hit on the movie twice. And then I saw her as we were talking, kind of watching it, because she was she, she was she kind of forgot what was going on. She was getting a little riveted. Yeah, sitting there, and I just go, <laughs> boom, and she screams, and I like, <laughs> there awesome. we go, because that to me is I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, well, let's have some fun, and it's the I. The idea, and my buddy Regan uh, out in LA, we were talking about that We went and had dinner and we're at this really nice Italian restaurant and we're sitting outside and we're having fun and we're getting all this great food and he's got his dog with him and his dog's an Instagram famous dog and we're right. all hanging out and Regan looks around and we get done with dinner. He waits till we're done with dinner. He said, did you realize all the other tables outside were looking at us? Mm-hmm. I said, no. He goes, yeah, we're also the only table. We never touched our phones and we talked. And we were entertaining the people around us by our laughing and conversation. while they were stuck on a phone or stuck looking across someone and they didn't know how to engage that way anymore. It's like they lost a little bit of that engagement. And if I want anything to happen from this podcast, is I want to teach people that you can talk to someone for two hours and have a great conversation. Yeah. And not worry about it. It's going to be fun. And if you could, and the fact that, oh, he's stuffing well, those. Well, think about this. Yes. Look at this from a social,
1: <laughs> stuff in the tater tots. In his pocket. In his pocket. In his like, uh, pair, It's like wrapper uh, pants. Yep. His breakdance pants. I so just, here's, the I have a, th- the smell. I have a theory that. about this. Okay, talk to me. The theory is, is how lunchtime was in high
0: school for you is still how you view social events. Ooh, that's me, quiet in the corner, yes. away from everyone. Exactly. Everyone right. thinks I'm the life of the party when I come here. When I come to Dirty Bills, right. I'm at the end of the bar, right, right here. Leslie saves me a seat. Yes. And she asks people to leave me alone. Right. I kept like <laughs> network If I don't, go, if I don't have
1: a wingman going to a networking event, Wallflower, I, I will stay in one spot. And I figure if you're there to find me at a cosmic level, you'll find me. That and I'm certain that this goes back to cafeteria time walking along with the tray, trying to figure out who to sit with. And again, I didn't have a Pedro or yeah. a Deb. Not until I was like a junior in high school, but okay. freshman, seventh, eighth grade, freshman, sophomore, no friends. Yeah. And not really. And uh, and so that's one of my working theories. It's the same theory I have about dudes with that have natural washboard abs. Uh-huh. They have no idea what rejection is. Because if you've got natural washboard abs, you're going to have some success. In the uh, in the uh, intimacy department, because yep. you're confident, and if you don't have washboard abs naturally, and either you're skinny or you're overweight, you had to learn confidence in other parts of yourself, and but that's a totally different experience for somebody that you know they 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 just you know they take their shirt off at the lake and they you know they drink natty light most of the time yeah and they and <laughs> French fries and they just have that look yeah. And there's something about that as well that sort of informs how you view intimacy the rest of your life based
0: off of your body type. I, you know, I agree with that, and I think it's, it's interesting because if you look at, I mean, I was always a, a chubby and, and sometimes a, a very overweight person. I was over 300 pounds yeah, at one point. Me too. And then, I, I mean, when I first moved to Austin, I was 185 pounds and I was having fun and riding my bike everywhere. Injuries in life happens, right? I hurt my knees, I hurt my back. Gain a little weight, take some off, get a little more, take some off. Right. But because, and I remember my brother Ross saying, even fat Jason could always get a good looking girl because even fat Jason brought this air of because con- he just knew the other parts of him right. and honed the other parts of him so well yes. he didn't let his body get in the way. Yes. I like
1: it. I like uh, the little subtle acts of rebellion in this movie. Oh, yes. So I was a defiant kid. You know, I I often will say, like, in speeches and stuff, they try to church it out of me, beat it out of me, school it out of me. But this little act of rebellion of sneaking tater tots into class.
0: (laughs) just. So what did you
1: get in trouble for? Not to turn the Yeah, no. But what did you, when you
0: were in high school, what did you get in trouble for? I got in trouble for a lot of stuff. I was, um, let's see, my freshman year, I got in trouble. uh, Kid, I won't say his name. it's, it's, it's inconsequential, but he spit on me, and I walked out in the hallway, picked him up by the throat, and smeared my lunch all over his face, wow. and forced him to eat it. his uh, spitting is such a grotesque. It thing. is. Right. Um, I got in trouble for that. I got in trouble for vandalism. Uh, I got it my biggest thing. Uh, here's, here's a uh, here's an exclude. Here's something I haven't talked about. I haven't talked about many people since it happened. Uh, my buddy and I, and I won't say his name, he's a dad, he's got a couple of kids, we were out and we just, we thought it was an abandoned cemetery and we wanted to see what a dead body looked like, so we dug up a grave. Did you see a dead body? Yep. Did you get the casket open? Yep. Wow and we that's got, some perseverance we got they're way down there <laughs> way like down i there. had to bury
1: a dog once <laughs> you can't just go a foot down like, no you, and i'm thinking how do they like in the movies where it takes them eight minutes to dig a grave oh yeah, yeah. i'm digging a dog a grave for a dog and it took
0: me a, like an hour so interesting and we got you know we got caught um and it was the chief of police's family cemetery and we didn't know that oh and so then part of our community time was to go back there and the lawn and right. the flowers and the headstones and, it's and it's it, was death. <laughs> it was it was it was a humbling experience to actually hear the person's story of the grave that, we yeah. that he died after wrecking a car in between Kalispell and Big Ford, and he he put his body around his wife and kids so oh, they wouldn't man. feel the wind yeah and he died and they didn't wow and it was for the first time in my young years, and my parents being divorced, and my my dad being very physically abusive and mm-hmm. a drunk and crazy, yeah. I, I went from kind of this arrogant, chubby asshole kid who didn't have any friends really. I had a couple, but not really. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't popular by any means. I went from that to, oh wait, there's more to this than me. Yeah. There's a lot more to this than me. Yeah. Uh, you know. But I'd like to have a better defining moment. Well, or was it Stand By Me? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at it. It's transformative the moment,
1: you know. Yeah. We, it's interesting. Again, parallel lives. It's really weird. It's really strange. We, um, the church I grew up in mm-hmm. uh, didn't have, they didn't meet, they didn't have a building. So they met in homes for Sunday morning and then they rented halls for like gospel services. And okay. when I was a little kid in Roseburg, Oregon, I'm four or five years old. They'd rented a funeral home, and they'd have the gospel service, and I would, with my cousin Eric, would sneak downstairs into the basement where they had the bodies laid out, and we would go look at all the dead. We look at the bodies that oh, were in wow. various stages of, you know, embalming and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know, we got in trouble, got in, like, you know, got whipped for it, which I always remember thinking, like, what? Did, I remember as a little kid in my old man brain or my old soul brain going, why is this a threat to you that I just saw a dead body? It's not like they're going to do anything to me. Yeah. It's not like I was defiling it. Yeah. I just, it's just a dead body. Um, anyway, so it's weird. We have this similar, similar the act of defiance involving yes. dead bodies.
0: So, so you brought up, you brought, uh, I want to get your take on this. So this, yeah. is, my, this is my theory and principle, and I, I hold it fairly true. Um, I have a daughter, mm-hmm. and I'll never spank her, only mm-hmm. because... I don't want to say i'm doing this because i love you and then when she's 20 or 30 years old she falls in love with a guy let's say he's abusive and he hits her and he goes i'm doing this because i love you there is that back effect it's weird i wouldn't care if her mom spanked her but i'm never going Mm -hmm. to okay because i look at that and i go oh no no like i can't it it, it's too much of a comparison in my mind of a man i'm still a man hitting a woman
1: yeah. Even though she's not
0: a woman yet, it's a violation of your standards. It's a violation of my standards. And you know, religious households, right? Mm-hmm. Get you know, spare the rod, kid's gonna be a, a hellion. Like I don't. No, I got this shit kicked out of me when I was a hellion. Yeah. I got hit in the face. I got kicked. I got punched. Yeah. I got shoved. I got dragged by my hair. I was still an asshole as a yeah. kid. So it, I don't, you know, I don't believe
1: the spare the rod. Then yeah. I don't. Think it's real? I don't think it's real either. I think it's a social construct, like a lot of things that come out of uh, fundamentalism, religion in particular. I'm not saying all religion, but fundamentalism, religion is a as a system. It's it's like um it, you know it's it's like how some people view like uh six sigma business
0: processes or uh, lean or veget veganism. It's by the way the six sigma. Don't you it, don't you love it? Someone will talk to you and you go, "We'd like to hire you. you you're six sigma, right?" Yeah. I'm like, no. Like, we can't hire you. Well, yeah.
1: You're lost. Yeah. What is that, <laughs> 2002? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that whole, like, worship of a system is my point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think what happens in our journeys, if we allow it to unfold, as you have, is there'll be opportunities where we'll either repeat history or justify history of our own self. And um, we do this with, the, with our relationships. We do that with our view of ourselves, how we treat our bodies, how we treat our kids. And you know, I had a, I had a, um, I would call my uh, my childhood violent, just as a summary. Yeah. Um, emotionally, physically. We both violent. once again paddling down the same right, river. Exactly. And, um, and I, I asked a friend um, last week or a couple of weeks ago. I said, "Did you recall a time when you were a kid where you felt safe and loved, or you didn't feel safe and loved?" She was, "No, never. Even in dark times, even when we were going through something, I felt safe and loved." And I said, "I don't recall a single time other than when I was with my grandmother that I felt safe and loved." So that'll mess with your head, even if you don't realize it. But then I, re- but then here's what I got out of it. I had these two grown sons, Logan and Caden. Logan's 25, Caden's 20, that are the most beautiful, whole men that I know. And I, and I, for a long time, would not take any credit for that. I would give the credit to their mom. But then I realized, through some therapy and stuff, the reason that part of the reason they're like this—that they're whole, creative, awake, um, uh, free-thinking. Um, loving men is because I gave my life to make sure they didn't have any life like mine. They never knew what it was like to really uh, to experience violence, even though I did spank them on occasion, I don't think I was violent, I would get angry,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but they never had an experience. They didn't have an experience where, like I had where I had to wonder if my mom and dad were gonna get divorced. Um, we've never had an experience like we're gonna be homeless. You know, all these various things, these, this narrative, it's, and it's not like I sheltered them because I made sure that they did have some suffering in some ways in, in life because that's how you learn through suffering. Yep. But I just made sure that they didn't have the same experience that I had. And then I outlived it. Like two years ago, maybe, I realized I can't live like this where I'm just trying to prove to somebody else a different way of doing things. You're doing the opposite of what my parents taught me. I have to go create something in the world that is of mine. And, but being a dad was a big part of that transition
0: i you know i told Stephanie this the other day and especially because i just you know what if, i think there's there's two separate tracks here right and, and they and they follow a little bit they follow similarly but it is um the idea that a dad in the in the, in the struggles of, of raising kids and, and where you step in where mom step and mm-hmm. everything else and then also just women and body issues, mm-hmm. you know? so I make my daughter look in the mirror and she gets embarrassed sometimes. So right. I make her look in the mirror and say, I love you. She's like, why am I doing this? i right. like, male, female, if you're not looking in the mirror once a day and saying I love you, start. That's right. I mean, start. It's uncomfortable. By the way, I've been doing it a long time. It's not comfortable still. Right. There's mornings where I wake up yeah. and I'll think about you know the fight my wife and I had or right. the fact that you know, I, uh, I raised my voice to my daughter because she wasn't listening. And I'm like, hey, man, you're frustrating me. Go to your room. And I'm like, right. oh, man, i probably could to handle that better. Hindsight's always 20-20. Right. There are days when you don't want to do it. But I'll tell you, if you want a little paradigm shift or if you want to make – and I believe in making yourself feel uncomfortable. I'm a yeah. big proponent of Let's make yourself uncomfortable. Right. Let's push this to a limit right. to where everyone's kind of itchy. and They don't exactly That's know right. what's going on. Yep that's that's where that's where you win
1: yeah have you read iron john by robert Bly? i have not no so highly recommend the book it's written it was written in the late 80s uh robert Bly was a psychotherapist who specialized in sort of the rites of passage and how it's written for men primarily but women obviously can learn from it too and and, in in their own rites of passage and it's this idea that we are supposed to we all get wounded by our parents and we wound our kids Emotionally, by design, because it key, it creates a gap between us and them, and eventually they leave. And it's the but we choose the depth and placement of the wound. And I didn't get that. I didn't get judicious wounding. I got violent wounding, <laughs> um, and um, unexpected or unpredictable wounding. Okay. Um, and so, even with Logan and Caden, when I discipline them, or when I you know even today, much more in a mentoring role for both of them than a, than a parent, um, is that I'm always thinking about what's the lesson in this that they're gonna learn from that's gonna suck a little bit. Yeah. Because it's in that, the suck that you learn about yourself. It's where tenacity is revealed, and character, and all these other ingredients that if you're living over the air conditioned with a guaranteed paycheck, and a you know, gated community lifestyle, like addiction to comfort, you're not gonna know what that's like.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love I love the idea only because I learned from it. Right, I love the idea of pain. I love the idea of discomfort. Yeah. Um, Tim Kennedy and I talked about it. You know, he, he loves it, probably to an extreme. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's a very interesting man, and right. he's got a lot going on. But you know, he took time out and we tried it. Was, it was it was interesting. Um, it seems like. That was Napoleon's first, first girlfriend, first love. Sort of, Sort of, yeah. sort of yeah.
1: kind of. Like with not enough game to actually close the deal. Yeah.
0: Who yeah. was that for you? How was that, what was that like? So
1: I didn't ever go through that stage where I thought girls were gross. I've been fascinated by girls since I was a little, little, little kid by, by, um, by just fem- femininity is fascinating to me. And um, I remember I was, in, I was young for my grade. I was uh, five years old in the first grade. Okay, And we were in class, Baker, Oregon, um, and my buddy, Steve Adams, which I thought was so cool that he had the same name as the bionic man. um, (laughs) uh, He, it was his birthday and his mom came in and brought a cake. And she she was leaned over cutting the cake and I could see it on her shirt. And she wasn't wearing a bra. And I remember at like five years old. Steve Adams mom burned that bra. Right. Like that was her little bit of protest or something about it in hindsight where she was like, I'm gonna to go to my, my son's
0: birthday party bra Of course, it was 1977, so maybe that was cultural, you know. Or, or, or it, or, or so or it yeah. was her, you know, pushback. I mean, it could uh, be. Ashley but, Kelch studies for Betty, shout out. She, her, her, her kids are like, why does my mom have to be the lingerie sex toy sales lady that's tattooed up that runs seven miles right. a day? Why can't you be Snow White over here? Like, what is going right. on? Right. Please don't come to the soccer game with a dildo. <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh, Steve's mom any- doesn't want that. But <laughs> but that was like, and then the other one
1: was Daisy Duke, from oh, the Tom yeah. oh. and the cutoff. So it's like, wow. Yeah, I remember like at twelve or eleven watching that. But the first girl that I had a crush on, and what was her name was Hillary Hust. Um, she's an Shout actress. Out to yeah, she's an actress in New York now, or retired actress. Mom, a couple kids. I haven't seen her since. But you know how Facebook works. Yeah. But I had a crush on her from the fourth grade to the eighth grade. Um, and never had enough game to do much about it, other than I did ask her to hold my hold hands once when I was like in the fourth or fifth grade, and she did it. It was like this moment of I Did heaping. have enough game. I did have enough game to at least get her to hold my hand. And I just remember holding it thinking, Man, she's got sweaty hands. <laughs> but still totally cool. You totally know, totally cool, cool. cool that but um, but that was that was probably my dad was probably Hillary Hillary Hust as a crush, uh, and my first girlfriend, first real girlfriend was her name was Brandy. You know, it was not until my junior year in in Portland when I we moved to Gresham, and I I rebranded myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to be known as the confident, well dressed guy who knows a lot
0: about world, you know, you know, world news. Okay. And
1: Brandy liked that for two years. So
0: nice. Yeah, my uh, my first real girlfriend um, was uh, Lenny Helmberg. Lenny, Lenny. She was the man. It was my junior year. She asked me out. Interesting. Um, and I was just I was blown away. <clears throat> and we were we were close. We had a lot of fun. She moved to Oregon. She moved to Portland, actually, Come where on. my dad lived. And I mean, I had a even when we broke up and she moved away, I still had a crush on her. When I'd go out to Portland every once in a while, I would, I would see her. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she was uh, a very, very, uh, very interesting lady. Uh, so I want to yeah, point please, out something please. on
1: this. is Where we're at in the movie is when uh, Uncle Rico is trying to sell Tupperware, or whatever it's called in the movie. But Napoleon, a couple of things back to fatherhood and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. parenting. There's no evidence, of, there's no mention in the movie where, where, where Kip and Napoleon's parents are. They got a grandma. They got a grandma who is kind of a wild child. Yep. And they got this weird ass Uncle Rico that shows up that they don't have any respect for. Um, So this is there is no direct like reference to being LDS or Mormon. Nope. But Napoleon's wearing a Rick's College T-shirt. Rick's College is the old name of what is now called BYU Idaho. And it was like if you couldn't get into BYU, you you, or if you didn't want to go to BYU, but you still wanted to mormon-based education you could go to rick's college and that's how there's that so you think about the anomaly of very family-oriented belief system that, that the mormons are like where is it where is parents where's the support system and it's almost like they've been abandoned by like on the outskirts of society in preston idaho to fend
0: for themselves and i think that's fascinating it's, it's fascinating you're absolutely right you've got this family <laughs> well i the kid's going to drive up with the temporary I love the idea and it just shatters. He's like, well, I mean, damn it. And he just drives away. He just, drives he just He's away. like, you know, I'm leaving Leonard. I'm out what, of here. Kip knew when to get out of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Kip knew when to get out. Napoleon knows when to get out. Uncle Rico does not care. Yeah, when Uncle right. Rico's bought in, he's bought in. Right. He, he's going down with the Titanic. Right. He does not care. Yes. Uh, do you remember the first time you got a, uh, a friendship bracelet? I never got one. You never got one? I never, I had to pay someone to make one. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more pathetic, that I didn't get one or you had to pay for one? <laughs> I don't know. It's so sad. That is so funny. Let's buy a friendship bracelet. The girl's like, uh, let's get $2. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, I'll mow the lawn for $2. dollars i get a friend. My mom's like, you got a friend? Do you have a friend? I'm like, nope. I just like the bracelet. I right. like, got, got a yes. bracelet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a friend. Right. My it's mom, right. I was so ingrained in, in being by myself and who I was. My mom would threaten me with chores and punishment if I didn't go right. But, so by the way, we lived out of Whitefish, about five miles out of Whitefish, four miles out of Whitefish. Uh-huh. There was a four-lane highway that went into Whitefish. We were on a dirt road off a four-lane highway. I could mow the lawn and do all these chores, or I could get on my bike, ride into town mm-hmm. on my huffy on a four-lane highway mm-hmm. on the side of it to go find kids to play with. right? And if I didn't do that, I got punished. That's how my mom got me out of the house, just because she wanted me. She's like, "You're a nice kid. You should have friends." Like right. I don't have any friends. People right. don't like me yes. now. Now it's funny because of Facebook, the magic of Facebook, right? All these guys that I went to high school with right. in Whitefish, I got invited to uh, the Whitefish High School um, class reunion, mm-hmm. and I responded to the girl. And I know I kind of know her, right? I, kind of, I remember the name. Right. And I see the face, and you know, hey, uh, I didn't graduate with you guys. I graduated at Big Fork. She goes, yeah, but everyone really likes you, and we just love to see you. I'm like, are you? Are we talking about the same person? Right. Eric Knutsefig pinned me down and spit in my mouth at a game. Right. I got beat up every day. I got hit on the head with staples. Right. I don't remember anyone liking me. Right. And she goes, no, we all liked him. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I wonder, is it that we have that good of a memory, and they just don't, or life was so rosy for them that they just assumed it was rosy for everyone else? I think. You know it goes to nostalgia
1: is mis- most nostalgia is misremembering we're, we're not nostalgia. We're, we're, we don't have nostalgia for high school right that's a or oh, junior hear, high or junior high or grade school even really yeah it reminds me like when someone would say well it's um it's like we have a family culture here well to me that was toxicity and violence so you know, like it's a family experience. Oh, really? Is it involved a lot of silence or screaming? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Is it, are pans being thrown? Oh, right, really, pans are thrown. Are, pants are grown, yeah. wire yeah. hangers involved? Yeah, yeah. Wooden spoons, um, slamming doors, and I think that um, I think that there's a, so I think some of it's nostalgia on their part, um, and that's that's all I all I know. The reason. So for me, I got the same thing happen. I got uh, Baker High, 25 year anniversary. And I said the same thing to the organizer. I did not graduate with you guys. I graduated from Gresham like a year and a half later. And and it wasn't a great experience. And she had the same thing, like you, you like, we liked you, we thought you were cool, we liked you. Um, but here's what's funny. I think some of this is perception. So I ran into uh, a person I went to high school with, I kinda had a mild crush on her, her name was Teresa. I ran into her years later when I was giving a talk at Boise State University, and she was there with some um, with some people. And she came up and she was like, "You Justin Foster," and I said, "Yeah." She was, I'm Teresa, and I'll leave her last name off. And she said, um, "You know, I always thought you were cool." I'm like, "How can that be? That you thought I was cool?" <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if we were a little bit, but we were so like when you're when you're immersed in fear and violence, yeah. You, Warps greatly warps your view of the world and how you see yourself and how you see life, and and so it makes me wonder that the truth isn't somewhere in the middle that maybe we were a little bit more cool than we thought, um,
0: or maybe you know maybe yeah. less cool than other people thought. But we're seeing Napoleon at the chicken yes. place eating eggs, and they put a they put a raw egg in the in the juice. Reminds me of the original Orange Julius. When yes. they put that, you know, before Salmonella, right? Yes. And was like, "Hey, who cares?" Right, your kid yeah, got sure sick. Your Arnold thing. Yeah, your kid's a wuss. Right, right. rub some dirt uh, on it. Yeah, rub some dirt did, on it. Did um, um, what was your first W two job? Where I you, where was you had a, taxes taken out. No I was a under the table dishwasher at Eagle Bend Resort in Big Fork, Montana, and I got moved up to doing dishes and frying food, uh-huh. and then I got moved up from doing dishes and frying food to making desserts. Yes. And then I got moved up from dishes, frying food, making desserts, to I was the 19th green and I was outside in the summer at a grill making hamburgers. But I didn't like the way they did their hamburgers. Because it was just hamburger, cheeseburger, ketchup, mustard, right. onions. That's all they had. Well, I would raid the walk-in because I used to cook inside. And I'd bring down ham and bacon and jalapenos. Right. And I would make these monster, amazing, triple cheese, crazy burgers right. just as experiments. yes. And I remember the, the, the manager coming down. He's like, what the fuck is going on down here? Right. Like making burgers. He's like, these aren't on the menu. I'm like I just charge. and he goes, what? He goes, a burger's $5. I'm like, they're paying 10 for this. He's like, they're paying $10 for this? i was awesome. like, yes. He's just like, let's put it on the menu. I go, no, no, no. The point of this, any at, at eighteen, I'm like, the point of this is that it's not on the menu. Right. The point of this is that they get to create their own burger in some way, and I just charge them. Right. He goes, how'd you come up with ten dollars? I said, I made it up. Yeah. He goes, well, do you get tipped? I'm like, yeah, I get. T- this is, people are paying twelve at, at the end, two dollar tip, twelve dollars for a burger. Yeah. And,
1: I mean, this is thirty years ago. Right. Of money, it's like 40 dollars for a burger now, yeah, yeah. But they were so excited because they got to make their own, and that just and it was it goes, it's a lesson in being different, yeah. Nobody wants the same, not even engineers want the same thing. Even they, they get paid to make the same thing, but they don't <laughs> want the same thing, they don't. Everyone wants something, even, even back then. So, again, the weird, serendipitous brotherhood that we have. <laughs> My first W 2 job was a dishwasher, it's the and worst job, it was, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing, though. Is I wanted to be a buster. I, I have a buddy of mine named Tim, who was a buster at Stuart Anderson's Cattle Company in Gresham, Oregon. And he, um, and I was like, that sounds like a cool job. So I would go talk to the head waiter, a guy named Alan, um, and who, who looked like Gabe Kaplan. And oh, that's uh, reference. <laughs> there that's you go. Work. Uh, had a little bit of Napoleon to him, uh, actually, with that curly hair. But anyway, he would, um, but he said, no, we, we don't have anything. But, and so I, I got a job as a dishwasher there. And I would, I would say to them, like I'm gonna. Whenever there was an opening for a buser, I would apply, and I would get rejected. And and I finally asked somebody, maybe it was Alan, maybe it was the manager, why am I not getting this opportunity? And he they said, looked at me and said, dishwashers don't become busers. Oh. And I was like, oh okay, challenge accepted. And a few months later, I worked my way into it as a buser, made a shit ton of money with tips and. You know, I was very well funded. My junior and senior year, being a busboy at a steakhouse in uh, in Gresham, Oregon.
0: What nice. I was. Uh, I also I waited tables at seventeen. Uh, this restaurant, I forget the name of it now. It was right outside of Big Fork. That was my high school job. And and
1: you remember? I, you remember the hustle though? Oh like, yeah. Trying to hustle for money, like these guys, Napoleon, trying to raise enough money to buy a twelve dollar suit. Oh so you yeah. Go to prom, you're 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 he's working at a chicken farm. Uh, trying to, trying to sell
0: Tupperware, all of that, picked, that, all that hustle stuff. I picked mint leaves. I picked mint. Uh, I picked raspberries. Getting paid under the table. Yeah. Uh, I remember I'd help get old houses for realtors ready to be sold. and mm-hmm. clean them out. I changed sheets for a weekend at a hotel. Yeah. That's disgusting. Uh, I mean, people. People, by the way, folks, got an idea. Think respect the hotel a little bit. You're disgusting. <laughs> Almost all of you. Horrible gross people. Yes. Uh, I did that for a bit. Yeah, I remember that hustle. I would do anything, any job I could, any weird, pay under the table, here's 50 bucks, go do this. I helped build a house for a summer where all I did was just move heavy shit around and just seven in the morning till seven at night. Day labor stuff. Just day labor stuff. We get to just- We learn how to work. Yeah, You learn.
1: So, so there are two moments to this. One is I grew up on, a, on, a, you know, on the ranch. We, had a, we were reverse commuters because my mom didn't wanna live at the ranch. So we lived in town and my dad drove out to the ranch, seven miles outside of Baker City. And so I always worked there. When I, when I started working on the ranch, they paid me. Um, when I was maybe nine years old and I worked there most weekends and all summer long. And then one time we went on a trip to Eastern, or Western Oregon to see some of my mom's family and my cousin, Spencer, had gotten a job cleaning a blood donation, a blood donation clinic. That's so sick. And he needed some help, so I went with him, and, I, and it was brutal. And I thought, I will never again bitch about driving around in a tractor at 110 degrees or feeding ungrateful steers at 30 below. I will never complain about this again because I did this for eight hours, and it, was, it, was, it sucked. And I think that's part of it's 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 part of my lament that people don't understand where food comes from anymore. They think food yeah. comes from a store. No, it comes from like the chicken farmer that Napoleon was working for. That's where food comes from. Or the or the wheat, the wheat that's in the wheat field in many of these scenes. They all that that's where food comes from. And the same thing applies to we don't really know outside of maybe like, you know, going to the gym what the true physical labor is. And when you become disconnected from that, I think you just get disconnected from your own value of your own capacity to,
0: to, to handle pain, to handle mm-hmm. suffering. In um, so Napoleon's just been rescued, right? He's, uh-huh. he's late to pick okay. his day. By like Pedro's cousins. By like Pedro's cousins. You know, and it's a random rescue because he doesn't really know them. No, right? But but it,
1: it shows something about in Idaho and those small towns, race relations. The least, like the most, like you, the first the small towns where everyone that's whatever you are got along. Yeah there was there was a natural assimilation. Um, and so the idea of what you of what you would think it's small town, it's narrow and
0: everything, I never I never found that to be true. No, neither did I. I found it to be true and I and I will I'll leave the person's name out because sure. very very close to me and I love them to death. But I was talking to uh, this female who is um, older, and we're chatting away and she was Jason. Guess what I saw the other day? And I said, "What?" Some black person at the store. And I said, "I think they like to be called people." <laughs> <laughs> just, right. and, she, and She's like, yes. "I don't know what they like to be called." I'm like, "I'm standing firm on people." Right. She, but she's older in the, in the generation where raised in the South and used different terminology. She goes, "Well, at right. first, and then she dropped the word. And I said, "Well, we're going to stop <laughs> saying that, please." Yikes! And she goes, "Well, then, you know, it was it was Negro," and then they stopped liking that. I'm like. Trust me, the whole time, they've loved the word people. Yeah. And now, I'm at a point, I'm at to wind the road, right? I can make this funny for me, and just keep driving down this road, or I can stop the conversation. <laughs> and I'm not mature, so I make it funny for me, right? So it's right. like, so what else? And she goes, well, then I think there was a time when there was the African American, and I didn't like that. I said, so you didn't like what someone wanted to be called? She goes, no. I said, so what did you call them? She goes, well, I guess black, right? And I go, or people. Maybe we're just all people. She goes, yeah. well, then how would you like me to describe them? What was that person doing? Nothing. They were just there. Then the story's pointless. Yeah,
1: there's a story. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a cool. mild story that if it was in a small town and they weren't used to seeing people uh, on of color. There's a
0: town yeah. of like 400 people. Yeah. And I, and I get the small town yeah, thing. Right. But I also, I'm like, yeah. hey, the people. And she got so frustrated with me because she, she knew that I was just right. having fun with it at some point. And it's not like she's dumb. Right. And, and it's not like she has a bad heart in any way, shape or form, but it's, it's this thing of like, it's a to your point, it's a perspective, but we could shift that a little bit. It's like, you know, we're people. I mean, like N- Napoleon's figured out that he's got this suit on, he's got all these people around him. His date's a disaster. His date's a disaster. Right. But at the same time, you know, and maybe to your point about us looking at hindsight and there's something in the middle. Right. Like he could look back on this and go on a dirt road in the middle of Idaho nowhere i was running to be late for my date right i got rescued mm-hmm. i got rescued you, by people that i didn't think would might rescue me but they're pedro's cousins but they rescued me yeah and, and, and it begs the question right in where is the time and maybe it was fun maybe it was challenging where's the random person that rescued you at one point do you have that not until i was
1: older i guess my sort of my um I would say my rescuer from zero to sixteen was probably my grandmother. Okay. Um, we called her Nana. Um, she was tiny, like five feet tall, fierce, independent, like like a postmodern feminist. You know, like not <laughs> like an angry like sixties feminist, but like this women empowerment. You hear a lot of these days, and it gets a great thing about girl power, girl boss, ba- lady boss. That was my grandmother. Okay. Um, and had a very interesting relationship with my grandfather. She was a rescuer in many ways because she was so non-judgmental and loving, but she wasn't like fawning. It wasn't like I was a symbol of her own insecurities or something. She just saw me as her grandson. And I'll never forget that. I carry that around with me every really every day. Um, because she was really the only adult, yeah, other than maybe a few teachers that gave me the time of day. So if someone was gonna put their attention on me, generally speaking, that was would normally do that it was from a negative perspective it's a you know what's wrong with you why are you doing that stop doing that don't say that don't sit there um so Nana probably that and then I, I was blessed and I don't use that word much but I'm trying to steal back from
0: the evangelicals I'm trying to. I use it all the time yeah. because I'm uh, like, you guys, you're not gonna, own, you're, you're not, gonna, not gonna own that. Yeah. You fucked up enough. You're not, you're not gonna fuck up blessed. Please, <laughs> you're not gonna. Yeah,
1: that's exactly. <laughs> so blessed. I feel blessed because um, it wasn't long after I began adulthood. You know, 1920, I started to get mentors, like people that just were like, they come to me, and I went on, and I think that's why today, if someone wants a little help, especially if they're a young person, I, I have this deep sense of, you know, giving back's a cliche, but it is reciprocity for these people that that came into my life and kind of raised me. And, and I'm very
0: grateful for that. I had a guy, uh, and oddly enough, in the church, who's not in the church anymore, who is world-renowned as one of the, if I, I believe, hours-wise, he is the top suicide prevention expert in the world. Wow. But back in the day, he was a youth pastor. And for some reason, this big man, Brooks Bear was a deep voice, I mean, a voice, and when he speaks in a microphone, the windows shake with bass, right? I mean, the fact that he didn't go to LA and just be voice over and be an orator, I, I mean, seriously, he's he's magical when he speaks. Mm-hmm. I call him sometimes just to hear him talk. And he doesn't talk much and he's very busy, uh, but you know, at a very young age, he put me under his wing. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't the crazy assemblies of god speaking in tongues slapping the tambourine he was about caring for people and then um he's got two girls who i'm mean, gonna watch them grow up and brooks and i always stayed in touch and he helped me out through college he helped me out in my 20s he helped me out in my 30s he's helping me out in my 40s wow. he comes out here we go out we have dinner Yeah. Uh, he was I mean he's probably the one person in everything that I did, even when I made horrible, horrible mistakes, he was the one who still nonetheless uh, was and will always be that that, that rescuer. And then like, the, the the random fun rescue was hold on, the point's gonna electrocute himself really quick. Right in the crotch. Right in the crotch. And it's do you, you ever, know, is there before I go to this rescue stories is this, yeah. Um I mean you were on the ranch, you were having fun. Is there a crazy thing that you did where you look back? I mean, I'll tell you this. I was, we used to ride our bikes. And I I don't know what parent approved this. Probably none of these weren't paying attention. We'd go down this little hill. And for you guys can't see this, right? With my hands moving down. And we'd hit this jump. And then we would land in the dirt and we would power slide. And dust would fly up to this four-lane highway. As cars are coming up. So cars are seeing a kid on a bike, kind of. And then dust. And then they drive by. And the fact that we didn't cause an accident is amazing. We did this all the time and one time I jumped, I went to power slide and my chain popped off and I went out into traffic in a car doing 55 miles an hour broadsided my bike. And I rolled up on the hood, I broke out the front windshield, I bounced on the top of the car, I went back up, the antenna I came down went through the back of my head, I broke out the back windshield, broke up, remember fat kid, broke up in (laughs) the truck. (laughs) Boy they regretted that. And then rolled down the highway. The man who hit me was older, he, uh, he passed from a heart attack from the literal shock Really? Of, of, of just, you know, he thought he murdered a kid, right? Yeah. Just the worst. And then there's, you know, and I'm laid out. Didn't break a bone in my body. My dad was pissed because I interrupted his golf game. <laughs> Good parenting of your dad, right? Yeah. I was pissed because I was, I was riding my bike in my church jeans and I wasn't supposed to. Right. And they had to cut them off my body. And I'm like, my mom's going to be so pissed. And then I remember in all of the pain, in everything that was happening, I'm laying there and the guy's like, where does it hurt? And I'm like, Mr. Furda would be so proud of me right now. I go, my calf muscle, it's two muscles, but the interior calf muscle really hurts. <laughs> and you know like your brain works, yeah, right? Yeah, I have these yeah, moments where I'm in shock and there's part of me yeah. going, gym class taught me so well right I've learned so much from gym class and then I'm still crying right there's this calm part of my brain wherever it's at that's going dude you nailed the calf muscle bro good these job. Yeah. these people are so impressed that your knowledge of the human anatomy good for you champ yes and then I went home of course I had a concussion uh, they let, but it's, it's whitefish Montana so I'm in the hospital for about 45 minutes the ground next no broken bones send him home yeah and uh, this girl this lady uh Marcy Marcy Gray, Marcy Gray, she, uh, Marcy and Peterman, she brought, she went to the store, and just bought me all sorts of food, fruits, and candy, because my parents couldn't afford that stuff. Yeah. And brought me a big bag. she goes, "This is going to get you on your way." Yeah. And was supposed to be out of school for two weeks. I was out of school for like five days. Yeah. And I went back to school, and I'm gonna limp yeah. because I was in the hospital for an hour, so you know, yeah. no physical therapy, right? No right. nothing, you no, know, no. Yeah. And, I'm, and, I'm, and my bike's bent in half, so I don't have a bike to ride to swimmer's. So I got to ride the bus. It was a the free, bus. The bus. Another place of social trauma. <laughs> so so what And by the way, in a land where we have to wear seatbelts, no seatbelts on a bus. No seatbelts on a bus. I I remember. I've always loved history,
1: and I remember hearing about like. The, like Rosa Parks, reading about that, and I was like, "Why would anyone want to ride a bus?" Like in my little, like ten-year-old head. Yeah. After, because I'd ridden the bus enough times to know how traumatic it was. So I was taking like this historically huge thing I'm reading about in a book and applying it to myself, going, "Why does anybody want that? Why would you? It's what much better to ride your bike.
0: So much better. So, um, by the I, way, don't evangelicals do that with the Bible? They read the Bible, they take today's right. thing or whatever's happening with their life today, and they're like, right. "I don't understand why this would happen." Right. Or, or they buy into it 100% without understanding the 100%. cultural significance of what was going on right, and have some, some, some intellectual context or spiritual context exactly like, exactly
1: so um, I would say that that kind of that incident I got injured a number of times you grew up on a ranch you get injured yep 100 um, but there's a there's a specific thing kind of like this like rebellious or recklessness we lived on Indiana Avenue in Baker in Baker City in town up on a, it was a hill. And there was a golf course on the other side, kind of kitty corner from our house. So we used to go up there, and we would, we would see if the locks that were hold, the, 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 the padlocks or the combo locks that were that would lock the, um, that would lock the sheds where people would park their golf carts and leave their stuff would yank on them because a lot of people don't cl- class them shut. And if they were open, we'd go in there and we'd steal all that stuff.
0: Oh, my god! Like,
1: everything we could carry. <laughs> and um, Did your
0: parents wonder? No, are you but the sh- were, this
1: was the advantage of having uninvolved parents is they weren't really paying attention to any of this stuff. Okay. So what we did do is keep all, and I say we, it was my, I was the oldest of three, three, three boys, and I was quite a bit older than my other brothers. I was four and six years older than my other brothers. So I was the instigator of all of this. Nice. And we used to get the golf balls that we would find either on the golf course or stealing them from the sheds. And we would hit them with a baseball bat, a wooden baseball bat, down the hill, and try to hit the houses and cars down below. That's what we did for fun. <laughs> Never got caught. Uh, Never got caught. There, there was a, my whole like from like seven to like eighteen okay. was doing a whole series of things that w- I, if I would have got caught, I would have gone to jail. Then that type of stuff, you yeah. know, like, of you know throwing rocks at cars. For, um, did you ever
0: sneak out? Never. I was terrified oh. of my mother
1: for sneaking out. I
0: used to, I, I used to sneak out with my buddy. i had have a friend spend the night. Jimmy Perry, or he would he, sometimes we got in so much trouble they wouldn't let me spend the night anymore. So instead, he would sneak out and I'd sneak out. We'd walk down the dirt road. Right. And we'd meet each other with our bikes. And then at two in the morning, we're riding around Whitefish, Montana, and we're we're, we're putting pennies on the railroad tracks yeah. as, the, as the train comes by. Yeah. Man, you put that on wrong. That penny shoots out. Right. It, it'll. Get, he'll get you. Right. And we would, my buddy Rich Bishop, his dad was a pastor. We would sneak out. And one of the funny things we did, and I still laugh about this. Now, if it happened to me today, I'd probably be a little pissed. But I would, uh, we'd, we'd ride around the neighborhood during the day. He lived in mm-hmm. this really nice little neighborhood and, you know, I had some shanty house up a hill
1: that right. nowhere, you know, with
0: add-ons. Like, you could see the different types of wood from the build-on <laughs> add-ons. It was like, yeah. we need an extension. Right. Get the hammer and nails. But we would we'd see people with their dogs. And in Montana, you'd just leave the dogs in the backyard. Sure. So we would get bacon or whatever, ground beef, and we would coax a big dog out of a house, out of the backyard, and we would take it and we'd switch it with a little dog <laughs> across the <laughs> <bus>. <laughs> That is that's an awesome prank. It's just the because you go out and little Fluffy, yeah. and it's just this big monster dog. <laughs> it's a big St. Bernard, yeah. and, yeah. and Fluffy's, it's someone else, and they're like, the fuck happened to her right Honey, did we shrink the dog? Yeah. You know, just like, like, yeah, I love that. So posters would go up for a day, you know, and of course the place, people would figure it out. Right. But we had so much fun. Or it would snow, and we would build snow walls and then lightly spray them with water over people's front doors so they couldn't leave their home. Uh-huh. What we used to do, <laughs> the same golf course, um, covered in snow,
1: we would build up, there was a barbed wire fence, and we would build up a snow ramp, an inner tube down it, with the goal to be able to make it over the fence. Otherwise, if you didn't make it, you landed on a barbed wire fence. Oh my god! Like gosh. that's the thinking like the daredevil stuff. So back to- Yeah, back to back. I have two questions from this. Please. Um, did you run for uh,
0: office as in when you were in school? Yes, were, I was secretary of treasury. What year? Uh, 1992, my senior year. Your senior year. And it's only, was, the only reason I did is because my buddy Nick Sheedy was, uh, I think he was pre- class president or something or someone was, there was a group of them, Yeah. and Nick and a couple others liked me, and they're like, oh, and I, I didn't really run as much as they just gave it to me and told people that's right, right. I, like I was in, Yeah. and I never went to any of the meetings, I never did yeah. anything, I didn't quite get it, and also I couldn't because my dad was half drunk all the time, I'd go pick him up from the bar or, right. or something else, so there was m- more pressing matters. <laughs> right. He would take me into a bar. Because I was 17 and in Montana, you could just bring a kid into a bar because right. you're an adult. Right. And he would get me into bar fights to oh, toughen goodness. me up. Wow. That's, so he would he would pick on someone like and, <laughs> and say, here you go. Right. And I was like, I don't think this is appropriate. And so I'm trying to talk the guy down. Right. And you know, you hear Lee in the background. Watch oh, him! <laughs> what the fuck just happened? Yeah, uh, that's like that's like
1: the boy named Sue, the Shel Silverstein song that Johnny Cash yeah. made famous. Um, I was sixth grade class president. Nice. And I was I, I swept the vote. Even Ooh. my opponent voted for me. But I ran on a platform. I was always love politics. Always love politics. That's why I'm horrified by our current state of affairs. Because uh, we don't have politics anymore. We've got Lord of the Flies. <laughs> that's yeah. what we have going on. Anyway, separate podcast. Um, but. I was sixth grade class president, and then my junior year, there was this kid named Larry Hansen that was kind of this big, awkward, fat, I think the fat kid. Okay, it was it was from that era, maybe where, 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 when you were in school, where where there was a fat kid. Oh yeah, not everyone was fat. No, there was the yeah. there was the yeah, fat. There kid. was the fat kid and the smelly kid. Yep. So Larry was kind of the fat kid, and I saw him randomly at the mall couple years after high school and he got in like great shape and everything so that's why I'm, I'm comfortable calling Larry, my friend Larry the fat kid <laughs> so he ran and he wanted to run for state for for school treasure and he was up against like a summer wheatley type um in the, you know the, the blonde girl in the movie in Napoleon Dynamite a, a super popular girl head of cheerleader head cheerleader and everything and we put together this campaign of slogans and everything and he won he won that and that nice. and that was such a moment where like I helped one of us, one of us rejected by the cool kids. We ha- I, we got
0: into power, and
1: it was just a moment. I'll never forget that.
0: I remember I was, uh, they were trying to get a president of the radio station at Northwest. I was a pastoral ministries major first in college. My mouth does not, you know, <laughs> you listen to me talk, and so I was like, are you sure? <laughs> well, yeah, 100%. I had I, I to pay off that bill. It was expensive. But uh, they had uh, a radio station there. And I was on the radio, and they wanted a president of the radio station, and I ran, and another person ran. And the, radio, the call sign was KCNC. You know, they wanted to, I forget, like, I forget what I called it, but the, the other guys of Keeping Christ at Northwest College. I'm like, I think he's already here, or he left a long time ago <laughs> because this place is awful. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah. So I'm, I'm running on the ballot yes. that Christ left because everyone here is an asshole. Right. And he's running on the ballot. There's a lot of, of uh, to that. We've got to keep Christ here. I'm like, we don't, I don't think you have to keep him anywhere. So anyway, the guy who ran all of the communications department and ran the radio station, he really liked me. And so it was a tie. Yeah. And he goes, well, I think we should have two presidents. And me, and just being me, I go, that's dumb. Let this dickhead have it. I don't care. I've got my We Only Last an Hour show that was two hours long. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, well, I need to talk to you about some things then about your show. And I go, oh, no, no, no. You must think this... Thing as power, yeah. Get the T-shirt. Have a good day. Right. Never talk to me again. Right. And everyone in the room is like, "But he just got assigned president. How can you talk to him that way?" Yeah. Oh, because you must think I care. Right. I don't. Yeah, you don't. You had enough
1: perspective. <laughs> have perspective to know that you didn't care. Yeah. So back to high school. Did you have? Was there a summer Wheatley? Who was the summer Wheatley? The un, the oh. un. Um, what's the word? Like the Mount Everest of girls that
0: you would never going to. There, there was. There was a couple.
1: Probably.
0: I'll give her a shout out because she's still there. There's a couple that were very, very pretty, uh, especially even a big fork, right there. Was um, <laughs> especially well, no, because big fork is like so small. I know, because but I like, like that, like like something about the big especially the, big, the big fork, the home for ugly people, the home for yeah, big fork, <laughs> where the ladies do skull bandits because they don't want bad breath from cigarettes. Big fork, big 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 uh, foreheads. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, but uh, there was a there was a young lady there. There was a couple there. um one was a woman uh now a woman at the, you know a girl or whatever uh named betsy blair and she was just um, she was gorgeous uh-huh. there's a couple others um Catherine mason was absolutely i mean tall played volleyball stunning looks just glide through I mean these women didn't walk right they just moved yeah they, yeah. they were they were they Queens were just the high school. yeah they were yeah. But, goddesses but they were also oddly enough very nice to everyone all right like, I remember right. I bumped into Betsy Blair on a train in Portland Oregon she's yeah. like oh my god Jason Jepson yeah and I'm like hey she's like what are you doing only this conversation she's a very 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 nice woman um, so I had a version
1: of that because with Summer Wheatley she's mean but there's something about like the Mean Girl, where like it's the unattainable, and uh, at least they per- were perceived as mean. Um, and I I remember um, there was this girl in Baker, Katie Rasmussen. The Rasmussens were like, you know, like like how big was Big Four? How many people? Uh, like, I mean, less than three thousand. All right. Sure. So Baker was about eight thousand. So okay. But the Rasmussens were like one of the like family, you know, the the famous families. You okay. They're, they're, like. Like and and so or they they were you know they were they had money and they lived up on what we call snob knob, which is the highest one in town. <laughs> and anyway, but Katie Rasmussen was gorgeous. And she was really nice too at the same time. But then there were other girls, and I won't name their names because they were mean, but there was something about their meanness that I was like I wanted almost like the challenge of trying
0: to talk to them or get a shot of any sort. Um, but that never, that never happened. I was, you know, in, in high school, um, I'm trying to think of the mean girls. I don't remember a lot of mean girls per se. Uh, just because I, I graduated in a class like I think 42. It would have been 44, but two went to prison. <laughs> it was just, you know, it's just that's one of those things. That's like, awesome. The guys were bigger dicks than the girls were. I mean, the guys were always, there were the cool guys that were kind of dicks, and there were just some guys that were just complete assholes. Yes. Even if they were your friends, they would just walk up behind you and put you in a sleeper hold. And, right. You know they're yeah. just
1: they're just punching you in the back of the head when you weren't looking, yeah. and yeah. they just
0: thought everything was
1: just yes. uh, I, I'm I'm here to be an asshole. I'm I'm still I I was at the gym yesterday. <coughs> I'm still this way with drinking fountains that I will look around to see if anybody's around. Because oh yeah, so I don't get my get, head slapped. Yeah, it? so yeah. I don't get my like my, my gums smashed from the uh, from that fountain, and that's those asshole kids. And it's like I look back and I realize these were just angry kids. You look at their home life situation. You know I, you got to forgive people. Um, yeah, resentment is a is an ugly fuel to carry around, but I do remember those those kids that were like that.
0: So. Do you remember the mixtape? Hell yeah, love the mix. I wanted there was a long time where I wanted to create uh, an app that worked with iTunes, where you could you could actually give a mixtape to someone. Like a could, real mixtape. Like a real mixtape. Yeah. yeah, you could you would buy the stuff from Apple at a more expensive cost, yeah. right, or Spotify or whatever, and you could digitally send it to them, but in the mail, yeah. like a week later. They would get this of uh, the same song. They don't have a tape player, which I think is better. I, I love the idea, the like mystery of it. Of the, like, is the, and, and they call you like, "Hey, I got this. I don't have a tape player." Well, no, you're already listening to the music. There was there was because there was an art to the mixtape. There was. There was an art to especially put the music if you together. were
1: recording it off the radio.
0: Oh man! Like the man. real
1: quick, like, "Oh, that's the song," and you hit it, yep. but before the DJ talks again. Yep. That's the, that the start was and
0: stop. Start and stop. Oh man! Yeah. Um, what was your local oh, radio station?
1: KBKR. Um, and had terrible music it was like bargain bin like so we tuned into it's funny that you bring this up the, the radio station that we listened to mostly was KBOI, which is now a talk station but back in the day it was like contemporary adults so it okay. had like Elton John and Billy Joel and and whatnot and then there was a FM station and um, that is now a country station but back when I was in high school in Baker it was a, a rock station and I would rig up as as I was always like fiddling with stuff to try to make things a little bit better. I rigged up this this antenna made of like aluminum foil and uh, (laughs) coat like like wire hangers and pop cans, and I could pick up if I held it just right. I could pick up 92.3, and I could listen to Journey and Bon Jovi and you know rock music. Um, So I because I lived in a small town and in, in the in eighties, the I didn't have, and we came from a religious background. I didn't have any like real exposure to
0: culture. You don't call Petra culture, sir?
1: I don't know what Petra is. The
0: horrible Christian rock band. Oh, <laughs> see, so we weren't part of. See, we weren't
1: that the the, the, the church I grew up in. We weren't we weren't that the the church. We we didn't we consider ourselves different than all the other churches because okay. we were very special. So um, I'm being sarcastic. As as as, as Craig's decreed it. Thanks. Like, just yeah. <laughs> well, remember he talked about being exclusionary and suppressive of women. Remember that? Yeah. One? Yeah. First two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul maybe, but not Jesus. <laughs> um, so anyway, I uh, I never had any exposure to pop culture until we moved to Gresham, Oregon, to Portland when I was eight, When I was 16 years old, and then it's like this whole world. Was your mind stuff. just blown? It was like the options of where to eat. The, the music that was available of all the radio stations in Portland um, it was like the first time you discovered like the internet and all the stuff you could download yeah. and look at and everything it was like this like this smorgasbord of options what was the first album you bought? first album I bought was one of the questions I was gonna ask you um, <laughs> First album i bought was um, um, it was either like a virgin or Madonna, mostly for the cover. Uh, and or it was Reckless by Brian
0: Adams. Both both I'd still listen to today. Absolutely. I still listen to Brian Adams. I really listen Prime to Madonna. Brian Adams is awesome. Yeah. I'll still Madonna.
1: I don't care. Yeah. I'll
0: play it. Yeah. Um, if
1: it's on in some way, it comes yeah. some sequence. But how about you? First album you
0: bought. Oh, first one I bought, and I have no shame in this whatsoever. Huey Lewis and the News oh, yeah. Sports. Yeah. Oh, I still know every song on that, every every song on that album. I remember my mom had been in, we'd been in a couple car accidents and my mom was addicted to some painkillers, a lot of them, and I mean she had a, she had the, the lazy Susan was full of her pills. Oh boy. And we had, <laughs> we lose the news, and I would walk around, remember that little rectangle tape player that took like two double D batteries? Oh sure. Had the speaker at the bottom? Yeah, yeah. And I'd walk around the house in the morning when she was taking all of her pills to get high and do whatever. I'm like, you to listen to the news? I want a new drug. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was that defiant. Yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just like, hey, so uh, you want a new drug? And she was, it was weird because she was super religious, right? Yeah. And very Christian and very aggressive. Yeah. And we went to church like four times a week, yeah. five times a Same, week. Similar, yeah. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. There was a Thursday thing. And I'm sure on a Friday there was a mixer or something. Mm-hmm. We were yeah. there. But she was also getting high as balls and driving me around and getting right. into car accidents right. and then getting high as well and then going to the chiropractor and right. like all this, you know, and then taking me and all this crazy right. woo-shoe, woo stuff. Well, at the same time, trust in God, I'm going to have 10 more Vicodin today and I'm going to have this yeah. and this muscle relax yeah. this because I got to feel good. I'm like, and I remember at that age going, but if you trust in God, then do you, do you need all these artificial things? And even more than likely she needed the artificial things to deal with me, not to deal with the right. guy with the yeah. pain in her I, get, I get what
1: you're saying, yeah. I totally get that. I, Music, so when people talk about fond childhood memories, outside of the ranch, I don't really have a lot of fond childhood memories. Except for, my mom and dad both, they both like music. They like different music, but my dad um, had like Waylon and Willie. Like the Waylon Willie album, 1977, the very first country oh, yeah. country album to go to sell a million copies. Most people don't realize that. I
0: didn't know that. Yeah, the Waylon Willie album. Knowledge dropped, yes. people. Yes, well, I
1: got a lot of that when it comes to country music, real country music. Um, like Luke Bryan. Not Keurig country. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, poor, poor Keurig.
0: It's like, Keurig. what? We're,
1: we're shitty coffee. We admit it. We're right, right, you know. and, you know, if Luke Bryan would admit that he's shitty country, that would be helpful, but... Actually he's the least of the problems. Photo Georgia line, Chase
0: Rice, uh, Sam Hunt. They were Sam Hunt is the turkey bacon of Country is music. Is he is, I thought he was a DJ. I'm I'm being a little bit facetious, but yeah. also his music's so shitty, I really thought he was like a country DJ. No, I it's you wonder like that. Like he has like with his
1: with his yeah, it's uh what's that EDM? Yeah, yeah it's country EDM. Country anyway EDM, yeah, sorry. So, sorry folks. In we, the weeds. We were it's this whole show should be called in the weeds. That's the fun part of it. Um <laughs> So we, but listening to like Emilio Harris, uh, Linda Ronstadt, Chris Christofferson, those are positive things. Like music was, a, it's still to this day, like if I'm having a bad day, I will drive around music down or music up, windows down, listen to sad country songs, listen to Dwight Yoakam or um, other contemporary newer artists that I like as well. And it was because music was like this little harbor that I could go into and even though I wouldn't necessarily, I would say I like that music, it, it was, you know, it was well done. I mean, Gordon Lightfoot, that, that man yeah. can tell a story. He can tell, he can tell a story yeah. through a song
0: like no one right. else can. Right,
1: exactly. And Chris Chris Offerson and, yeah. and the entertainment, like the sheer like, power of voice of Tom Jones. Like, I remember kind of picking all that stuff up and going, this is, I, don't, I can't do that. I can't do that, but maybe there's a version of me, of something else I can do. And it yeah. turned out to be coaching um and, you know that's my art and and but it goes back to that awareness of music as a um
0: as a as a salve so i love a uh, real real quick yeah. before we get that i love music so much because it, it can change i mean it's, it's so powerful yeah i can listen to hollow notes and i don't know how to dance I'm, I'm a white guy from Montana, not a good dancer <laughs> but i will grab my daughter and dance yes i was i was at my buddy's house in la and i'm getting ready in the morning and I've got, I've got Hall Oates on. He's like, and this is a guy who listens to Mozart while he writes. Mm-hmm. He's got books everywhere. Yeah. And he's like, Hall Oates doesn't play in this house, Jason. I go, yeah, it does. I'm getting yeah. in the shower. It's <laughs> on Holland morning. Yes. Yes. He's like, what is going on? I'm like, we're having mimosas at 10 and I've got man eater on. And he, and, do, 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 and his girl walks in <laughs> and she's like, what the hell is going on in here? And I go, Jason's in town. And then there's other, like I'll listen to, I remember coming home, hanging out, because my dad had good taste in music, and I have an awful taste in music, you know, generally speaking, and I love my poor taste in music because I have a daughter. And so I listen to Taylor Swift because, and my buddy Bobby, who's a musician, will argue that Taylor Swift is actually really good. I'm like, I don't care, people don't like her, I like her, and, you know, my daughter loves her. Sure, it puts a smile on my face. There's music that puts a smile on my face, there's music that put a beer in my hand. And I remember coming home once from a, from a camping trip with my dad, and I see my mom, ultra-religious mom, And we're driving down the road, and I start singing Tanya Tucker's remake, "Jose Cuervo, you are a friend of mine." I like to drink you with a little salt Mm -hmm. and lime. Then I shoot out, then I kiss all the cowboys, and I shoot out the lights. Then I dance on the bar. Then I start a fight. Right. Woke up this morning with a stranger's T-shirt on, and my mom has hit the brakes. She's slapping my face. Do not freaks out. I mean, she's beating me on the side of the road because I'm seeing this. And she calls my dad, and she screams at him, and this yeah. poor guy's like, "What is your problem?" And she's like, "Why would you do this to our child? Why, why, why?" And he's like, "What are you? What do you mean? Why would it, I'm not doing anything to your child? That's a good song. It's country music. <laughs> it is come country on. music, right? It's good. Yes, it's like uh, the
1: David. Um, oh, I'm going to forget his last name. Uh, it'll come back to me. But the song I'm going to hire a wino." You remember yeah. That song? yeah. 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 I want to decorate our home so you feel more at ease here, and you won't need to roam. <laughs> you kick out the dining room table and put a bar along that wall. Or such a great song. Such a great song. Um, or the Bellamy Brothers. If I said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? Um, which is such a great turn of phrase. Um, and I remember like listening to like Don Williams, Louisiana Saturday Night. Oh. Um, and the lines was after the after the kinfolk leave and the kids get into uh, get fed me and my woman gonna slip off to bed have a little fun when we turn out the light in Louisiana Saturday night yeah. and I'm thinking I was like a ten-year-old like having sex. Having sex, in a song and 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 all these adults around that songs on and nobody's saying anything it was like this little taste of
0: forbidden fruit like yeah am i the only one listening to this <laughs> And it, so and, it, like, and because that lulls in and then it peaks up with Louisiana Saturday right. night, right? It like lulls you in and then right. it pops you up Louisiana Saturday night, right? And it's almost it's like they've given you this forbidden fruit, but you have to hear it. You have to yes, you have, it. You have it's, to be, it's, it's that joke from White Men Can't Jump. Do you listen to music or do you hear music? Right? Like what are you doing? That's right. You might hear Jimi Hendrix, but you don't listen you to you Jimi listen Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. So, so we're at the dance. The dance. The, the, dance. the, so the I have, amazing dance. To ask this question, <laughs> please. Oh, all. Look at her smile. Oh, Deb. I love Deb.
1: So do you have a moment like this in K through 12 where you had like this coming
0: out big display of your awesomeness? Um, Don't. I wasn't – I didn't come out in a display of really doing something where I look back and people are like, holy shit, like that's it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have – I mean – I didn't start really playing sports until I was in my 20s. Okay. Um, I was at Northwest Bible College, and I really didn't have a coming out moment. I was always a rebel. Like, I just mm-hmm. did basically It was weird...
1: quiet coming out. It was yeah, Quiet rebellion, yeah.
0: Quiet rebellion. I, mean, I I did a lot of stuff. You know, I played a lot of pranks. Um, but I didn't have a moment like this until, you know, I was... I think it was the first time I was on CNBC mm-hmm. and someone heard me actually talk and Jane Wells gave me a chance. Mm-hmm. She put me on. Mm-hmm. And I was getting blown up and people were like whole, like knew me. Mm-hmm. It was like that moment where you kind of win yeah. the lottery and yeah. everyone remembers you and they're like, right. I, wait, I mean, I had friends who are in finance. Like I've worked my whole life to try to get on CNBC and you're on there right. and I've seen you on there now like 10 times. Yeah, uh, It was... My moments my moments came much, much later in life. Yeah. I was I didn't have those moments and didn't have those uh I didn't avail myself to those I probably had those opportunities in front of me a lot. Right. Um maybe in church well, I'll tell you one one story. Uh I was in church and I remember and I've told this story a couple of, times of the podcast, so forgive me, but um I got asked to go speak in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did is I I took the the, the podium. And I moved it off the side and I grabbed the microphone and sat down and I said, isn't this better? Oh. And we started, and I was 17 years old and I'm talking to 250 people, 300 people. Yeah. And we get done and the pastor was like, Hey, what made you think of doing that? Teaching on that? So I don't oh, know what you're talking about. I said, you yeah, see what I just did? The momentum swing of laugh to cry mm-hmm. that I did and cry to laugh mm-hmm. and how I emotionally manipulated them for 45 minutes. It was too easy. Mm-hmm. And that was like personally my moment. Mm-hmm. And I remember he took me by the shoulder and he goes, never become a pastor. Mm-hmm. Never become a pastor. So that is kind of the moment. That's your Napoleon dance moment. <laughs> my dance moment was, <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> take your silver tongue yeah, and you get off it. And it, it was actually, you know, I, I talked to, a, I have a pastor friend. He's like, man, you know, I wish I would have, you know, you could have gotten different advice. You'd be a good pastor. I'm like, I wouldn't be a good pastor. And I know I wouldn't be because I don't. It's not that I don't have a calling for understanding culturally or, or wanting to talk about the Bible or Christ mm-hmm. or anything else. It, it has nothing to do with that. Right. I don't. One, I find public speaking painful. Mm-hmm. I literally, it's it, it, my, my back hurts, my knees hurt, my ankles hurt, okay. my shoulders hurt. I perspire profusely, nervously about it. Um, I find the whole thing uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, I'm always called to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I turn a lot of it down? Right. But I am called to, you know, and uh, our mutual friend Elijah will bring me in on things. He goes, "No, you have to hear Jason talk. And I've sat in meetings or sat with groups, and I've mm-hmm. grabbed a CEO off to the side in front of his whole team and made that CEO cry mm-hmm. to prove a point that he's human or she's human. Right. But I am. like, I get done. And I'm like, oh, I got to go dry in my jacket because I sweated through my shirt, mm-hmm. my jacket. Yeah. Because it's so uncomfortable to. Me. Yeah. And everyone's like, "Oh, it's so easy, dude, to get on a microphone and do this." I'm like, "No, it's not. Yeah, it's not fun." but there's an element of it like this part of it is fun right i will sweat through two shirts listening to this later and compressing it and doing some things because i'll be so uncomfortable yeah i'll make myself a little sick listening to my own voice and listening to this uh so i have to like i block those parts out yeah so i can enjoy this part i get that uh i love speaking I I, I
1: I love public speaking. I love it. Yeah. I could do it every day. I could. Do, I've said I can do public speaking with a with a head wound, you know, because <laughs> I, I love it that much. Um, and so I don't find it uncomfortable at all. I love the challenge of it. Um, I love this type of stuff. There's things like networking. Yeah, I hate networking. Networking triggers everything that is part of like childhood wounds to crowd energy, crowd anxiety, all that stuff. I hate all that stuff. Um, so my my coming out like moment. And, and it, it's an important part of my own healing process. I went to start, I started going to therapy back in about 2010, stopped going, rekindled it a couple of years ago. And my my therapist was talking to me about being brave. And I'd forgotten about this moment until therapy. So here we are 35 years later. And it was, and I'll tell you what it was and why it was so sort of reconciling, why it was a reconciling moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... The um, What it was, was no one knew who I was. Yep. I was anonymous in school, mostly, unless I was getting picked on. And they had a talent show, and I decided I was gonna go as Boy George.
0: And I wow. was gonna lip-sync Kammer
1: come come, uh, come Chameleon. Excellent choice. And here I am, this little weird religious kid. I wasn't religious, really, I'm still not religious. Um, but I was just, you know, come from this weird little family my mom, very fundamentalist in her views of many, many things, but also very, in hindsight, very libertarian, very open about many things, too. Like My mom was always really open and honest about like sexual discussion. Was, okay. She didn't shame me about any of that stuff. Anyway, so I remember the moment, like uh, the church that we grew up in, the women were not allowed to wear makeup. So my mom went to my aunt and got a bunch of makeup, and I remember her, in the bathroom the morning that I decided to be Boy George, and she made me a hat, like that black hat, and we Uh took red yarn and made a wig and made it fuzzy, and I bought the clothes. I I found a a magazine at the Safeway with a picture of Boy George, and that's what we modeled it off of.
0: Keep in mind, this is Baker City, um, 1980. Four. I mean, outside of coming out and doing suicidal tendencies covers, right? Like, you're for actually coming out, <laughs> yeah, actually coming out in 1884.
1: So, here I come rolling out, and they, they're playing on the sound system. Oh, so I just remember my mom putting my makeup on, and she was, I was like, I can't believe my mom's doing this for me. And it was a beautiful moment that I'd forgotten, so I was like, to look at that because we get as we get older in our 40s we get these opportunities to reconcile these moments and that was one of them for me anyway rolled out one best of show nice and, and here's the funny thing is that a new kid are you a new kid are you new here when did you start going here I said I've known you since the first grade
0: <laughs> like I was completely anonymous for seven years that was eighth grade that was the high <laughs> you, point you come out you're up. anonymous for seven years and yeah. you, you just jump on the scene right. with just like man. Napoleon doing his, his dance yeah like like, come out and
1: slay it. And I did the dance, the come, come, come chameleon dance, and the music playing, and I'll just, I'll never forget that. That was That's awesome. That was
0: a brave moment. That is a brave moment. I, uh, and I know you've probably experienced those with with, with your sons. Um, I, I pray for those with uh, with my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I want her to have those brave moments. Uh, right. You know, I think we've all, we all grow from, the moments where we shined and also the moments where, we, where maybe we pulled back and we shouldn't have. Right? right. But we understand why we did or didn't do something. Right. Right. And so, you know, those are, um, those are things that, I, and, and I think we'll, we'll close with this and I'll get, uh-huh. I'd like your final thoughts on sure, this. Sure. But um, whether you're a kid or whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, i fifties—I think—are my age demographic based on the the stats that I get, whether 30 to 40, mostly men. Mm -hmm. My friend Jane Wells is like, I listen to only listen to your stories, and then I fast-forward through the rest because I like your stories, Jason, and (laughs) sometimes your guests just don't keep up. And I'm like, she goes, you need to find people that will talk with you because a lot of times they're playing catch-up. I'm like, gee, sorry, Jane. She goes, plus you're a little too Joe Rogan-y as far as the guy stuff goes, so, but I like you, so I listen to your stories and I turn it off. And I'm like, okay, uh, whatever. Whatever, right. But yeah, yeah that There's Jane's insight on, on on the podcast and having fun, and she's she's a great friend and a, and a great mentor as well. Um, but uh, Divergent. Uh, but um, no matter what age you're in and what you're doing, I guess I'd say, how do you, how would you challenge people to still have those moments? Because it's easy to not have them at thirty. It's easier to not have them at forty. It's acceptable, actually, to not have them at 50. And you shouldn't have them at 60, 70, or 80. Right. According to social conditioning. According to social conditioning. So what would you say to break that mold? And I got goosebumps because I'm waiting for you to talk, right? Right. (laughs) What a a freaking great question. Um,
1: Well, I think think in order to go forward into adventure, you need to go back and do some re-examination of your life of when you were adventurous and not look at it as like, well, when I was in you know, college, I used to binge drink or, you know, i slept with a different person every night it, where we look at it as some sort of reckless behavior, which those are reckless behaviors, but there's still a part of you that is the wild. So a very influential book for me was um, wild at heart by John Eldridge. Okay. And uh, a phenomenal book about going back inward and to find the thing that makes you wild and don't look at it as some past, like, oh, that was a stage, but, but go back to the root, not the behavior. And you will find, if you go back to that point, you will find plenty of opportunities to go do something risky, go do something that makes a dent in the universe. The difference is, when as you get older, then your 30s, 40s, 50s, the things that you need to take a risk, you've you got two sides. One is, is that the risk you need to take is going to be related to somehow, somehow advancing humanity. This isn't about bungee jumping as much as it is maybe going and living in Guatemala for a month and serving people. That's risky. That's terrifying for most people. Um, on the other side, the older you get, if you don't have a good relationship with your spouse, you don't have a situation, a worker, a professional situation, you become more and more locked in because so many people are relying on you for, for you to not be risky. So you're going to... That's a, it's, it's, I, I said this to someone yesterday, as so I'll just repeat it. If, if you want joy, you want a joyful life, which is what we're talking about here with yep. adventure. If you want joy, you have must... you must be willing to sacrifice pretending to be happy. And so if you want the joy of adventure, the joy of brave moments, you must sacrifice the things that you were pretending to be happy about. Like for years, I tried to pretend like I liked wine because I thought I was supposed to. I hate wine. Um, I I pretended I was like interested in golf because I thought that's what you had to do. Um, And I hate golf. Um, And so I could go on and on with those things that are these these moments that you're gonna get in life where you're gonna to return to the wild of who you truly are, but it's gonna be manifested in a way that actually you realize when you see it, is for the good of humanity. That's how you know it's a brave moment, because you're, you're doing it for someone other than your own self as a, as a rite of passage. Even like going skydiving, which I haven't done yet, but it's on the list. Those, those moments of risk, those moments of bravery are so that you can show up in the world in a more authentic way and change things. That's why you do them. You don't do them as a distraction from your boring life.
0: It's preparation. It's preparation. It's proof that you're willing to do something. I like that. So, folks, on that note, uh, Justin, thank you very, very much, man. This has been great. I hope everyone else enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, And now, you guys get to hear my lovely daughter sing about the first time she dropped a deuce. Enjoy! (laughs)
1: I did the proof, I did the poo. I did the poo. I did the, poo. I did the poo. How fun, so well. Ha ha, ha ha, ha ha, he ha uh-huh. ha, hee hee.